Good morning and welcome to Gorilla Discipleship. I'm Kevin Baker, your host. I'm so glad that you're with us. I want to talk about a little bit of a difficult or uncomfortable uh, topic today. And I guess in general, it would be the topic of suffering um, and how that relates to disciple making. Let me tell you a story. Recently, after I had finished preaching uh, and uh, we were closing out the service, I had one of the church members where I serve come up, love this guy, and he came up to me and he asked me, or he said this to me, he said, Kevin, why don't you uh, dial back all this disciple-making talk? And I was a bit confused. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, why don't you just talk about the love of God? And um, I would like to hear a sermon about the love of God. And I said, well, and I, I started to explain that I believe that disciple-making and the love of God are not uh, mutually exclusive in any way. So I, I said I was happy to talk about God's love, um, but it would be uh, also a part of, I think that's a part of making disciples. Because here's the key, at least in my understanding of Scripture, is that the number one command that we have is to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Well, who did that? The only person that's ever walked this earth that did that perfectly was Jesus. So making disciples of Jesus, disciples by definition are those who listen, obey, and share Jesus's words and commands, then we are actually making disciples who love God with their whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. So we're fulfilling the great command by fulfilling the great commission. So I, I was saying, well, I'd be happy to talk about God's love, but and he stopped me because he knew I was about to say that, that I, I couldn't not talk about disciple-making in the midst of that, and he said, no, I don't want you to mention making disciples at all. I just want you to talk about God's love. I was, uh, I was stuck. I, I said, you know, I, I can't promise that. I can't talk about that. I can't promise that I can do one without the other. I was recently with a, a cousin one of my favorite cousins, and we were talking about church experiences. And he talked about a pastor that his church had years ago, and he said he was a disruptor. And I said, uh, what do you mean by that? What's, what does that mean that he was a disruptor? And he said, well, he came in and, and believed that some things in the church needed to change in order for the church to be healthy and grow. And so he was willing to disrupt the patterns that we had in order to be more faithful and to see if God would continue to help the church to flourish and grow. And I said, boy, I think I'm a disruptor. And let me just tell you this. I believe that disciple-making, and I know this is shocking, disciple-making is disruptive. Here's what I, I think, if you think with me about Jesus's life and, and the apostles and the book of Acts, who were the most critical opponents, the most uh, ferocious or, or ferocious opponents of Jesus and of the apostles as they planted churches and made disciples? It was the religious people. As we've talked to disciple makers all over the world, one of the things that they've said is that as disciple making begins to, a movement of disciple making begins to happen, that actually it's the church, the traditional church that turns into the most ardent enemies of what they're doing. 
made me think about John Wesley and Charles Wesley, these Anglican uh, Anglican priest and, and his brother who began to just simply invite people into a life of discipleship, who God used to create one of the most powerful disciple-making movements of modern times. And I, I think about reading John Wesley's journal, and over and over and over again, he would go to Anglican churches in his own town, his own country, and he would preach the gospel and invite people to be disciples of Jesus. And they would say at the very end, you're not welcome here again. That's why John Wesley eventually started preaching out in the fields because no church would allow him to preach. And yet God used him and his disciple-making strategy and methods to change the world, to actually awaken so many lost people to the love of God. So I say all of this to say this, if you're willing to adventure with Jesus in being a a laborer in the fields, he says they're ripe for harvest. And Jesus basically tells us very clearly that if you follow me, well, you're going to face some persecution. You're going to face some suffering. You're going to have folks who are against you. And if they're against you because of what you're doing in my name, then actually rejoice. Because that's the way they persecuted me, Jesus said, and that's the way they persecuted those prophets that God had sent before. Now, I say this with a bit of a heavy heart. This is not fun. This is not enjoyable. But if you and I are going to be serious about making disciples, we might find that some of the biggest opponents of what we're doing and saying are the folks that we love who go to church with us who want to know why why what they've been doing isn't good enough, or want to know why we want to change everything, or want to know why we keep talking about disciple-making. Why is that such a hot topic? Can't we just get back to talking about God's love? Can't we get talking about the world's problems or hope that we have in Christ? And all of those things are true, but they're all a part of the conversation of becoming followers of Jesus and making disciples of the whole world so that the whole world will know the love of God and the kingdom of God and experience his presence right here in this moment. The kingdom is available for us. But you and I may be seen as disruptors. Your friends in church might say you're being disruptive. They may not want to follow along with you, which for almost all of us causes us to question, am I I the only one seeing this? Am I the only one experiencing this? Why is it that no one else is passionate about making disciples, and you begin to look at the scripture and you see where Jesus talked about this as the highest priority. It's what he did for his whole ministry. It's what he did for those three years, and it's what he commanded all of us to do as he ascended back into heaven and said that he would always be with us, that all authority has been given to him. It's funny, making disciples is even difficult in the United Methodist Church, even though our mission statement is that we are here to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. But see, so many people have such different definitions of what it means to be a disciple. There's so many ways that the enemy has come and confused and derailed and even deluded the thinking around what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But Jesus in Matthew 28 was so clear. He said, go into every place, go into every tribe, every ethne, every people group and make disciples. How do we do that? Well, primarily two things. We baptize them in the triune name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And 
we now have to teach them how to obey, teach them to obey everything Jesus commanded, which ultimately, ultimately is all of the scripture. It's not just the gospels because Jesus said he didn't come to to do away with the law. He came to fulfill the law. There's not one place that you're going to see that Jesus overturned the law. In fact, Jesus amplified the law of the Hebrew scriptures, and he even went farther than the law of the Hebrew scriptures. He said, you've heard it said an eye for an eye, but I tell you, and he goes on and he says, listen, it's not just about getting uh, revenge or, or equality. It's actually about sacrifice and suffering. It's about laying your life down. It's about if someone wants your coat, give them your cloak too. If someone wants you to walk a mile, walk two miles with them. You see, a disciple of Jesus knows when and how to sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom of God. A disciple of Jesus knows where the boundaries are. And we also understand that Jesus didn't stop as he ascended. He actually continued the gospel story, the story of disciple-making through the book of Acts, through the apostles who he had commissioned, and through the letters of Paul and Peter and others who showed us what it looks like to be disciples as the church is now forming and as the church has now been birthed after Pentecost to go into all of the world. And so I just want to prepare you. If you are beginning to get a heart for disciple-making, if you're beginning to see that we don't have to continue to be the church the way our our grandparents were the church. In fact, maybe if we continue to do what we've always done and expect different results, maybe that's the definition of insanity for Christians today. When we look at the world and we look at our own country and we look at the culture that we're living in and we see the hopelessness and the divisiveness and the anger and hatred, we have got to be more serious today about making disciples of Jesus because that's the hope of the world. The church is the hope of the world. Well, what is the church except the body of believers who are disciples of Jesus? We are building the church and as we make disciples. Jesus never told us, grow your church. He never commanded us, build my kingdom. He said, make disciples and I'll build my church. Now, we will have opposition, but probably most of that opposition, watch my words on this, most of that opposition is going to be from the traditional church, the legacy church, that's comfortable doing what they've always been doing. Even when we look and see that, that the church's ability today in our own culture to reach new generations and, and to keep generations of folks following Jesus is diminishing at the same time that our population is growing. What we've been doing hasn't been working. It isn't working. It's not allowing the Spirit of God to lead us and to see the transformation of people's lives. So we've got to get back to what Jesus taught us to do. We've got to go back to the scripture. We've got to say, how did Jesus do this? Let's begin to listen again with fresh ears to what Jesus taught his disciples so that we can become faithful at the end here of our time, at this age, right now, the day in which we're living. The reality is, I think for most of us, that we don't feel like we have the time. We want to go to church and be helpful, and we want to be plugged into a community. But if you think and look at it hard, you might find that most of what we desire is our own comfort, 
to avoid sacrifice, to go along so we can continue to get along. And yet Jesus, Jesus gave an example of love to us that is far deeper than that. There are times when love has to be tough. There are times when to love people, we have to lovingly confront them about behaviors that are destructive. We have to lovingly, lovingly tell them the truth, always with gentleness, always with respect. But we, Jesus was a, a man of truth. He didn't hide the truth. He didn't downplay the truth. When he confronted folks who were struggling and drowning in sin, he rescued them and then told them, now go and sin no more. Disciple-making is a work of the Spirit, and all God's asking for us to be are his hands and feet. He's asking for us to be laborers in the vineyard. You know, it's possible to look back on your life. Maybe you've been a Christian for oh, I don't know, 20 years, 30 years, and you would say, you know, I don't think I've ever really joined God in the harvest. I don't think that I've ever really allowed myself to be used by God. I've, I've, I've given myself excuses. I don't know enough. I'm not ready yet. I'm too busy. Maybe when I'm retired, maybe when the kids are older, whatever we have, whatever excuse we have. The Apostle Paul tells us to in fact, Scripture tells us in more than one place to run the race that God has set before us and to not get entangled, to not let sin entangle us, to not let the worries of this world entangle us, to not let our own fears entangle us, but to run the race like Jesus showed us, single-mindedly, wholeheartedly, and for the love of Jesus, for the love of our Father. Thank you so much for your courage as a disciple maker. I pray that you will continue to seek the courage of God, the grace of God, the strength of God. You see, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Pleasing our Father and seeing him work in us and through us, it's hard to turn back from that once you've tasted that. So come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Come and take part in the ripe harvest that's all around us and celebrate with the Spirit of God that the kingdom is here and the kingdom is being built in us, hopefully through us and all around us. God bless you. Thank you for being a disciple maker. Thank you for willing, being willing to take on yourself the responsibility, not just to be a part of a church, but to say, I'm gonna be the church. I'm not going to go to church. I'm going to become the church with other believers. I'm going to be on mission for Jesus. Together, we're going to see the culture, the world, and the kingdom come. Bless you. Thank you so much for being a part of Guerrilla Discipleship. We'll see you again next week.